Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Ballard. It is so much fun to be back. And it's interesting that my final Sunday, I get to be at Ballard, because coincidentally, part of the reason why I'm in Seattle and why I knew of Bethany is because of Brad and his wife, Carrie. So I've known Brad for probably eight years, nine years, something crazy like that. And so it's really fun to be a part of Ballard for my final Sunday, because I probably would not be standing in Seattle today if it wasn't for Brad and Carrie. Like you said, it's my final Sunday, and I honestly have no idea what comes next. So it's an interesting season and a little bit of a roller coaster. I was back there during the next to last song, just kind of feeling some of the emotions of not knowing what's coming next. And so just do me a favor and pray with me as we get started, and we will walk through the book of Jude today. Jesus, we are so grateful that we get to gather in the midst of whatever is going on in our lives, whether it's the unknown, the unexpected, or just something really difficult. Just thank you for the community around us, and I just ask that you speak to us today, and you help us to discern what you're calling us to do in this next season. In your name I pray, amen. Have you ever heard the phrase, if you don't use it, you lose it? There's many ways this could apply, potentially even to learning a language, a special skill, or someone who's training for an endurance race. I used to know Spanish growing up in Southern California, but I can't speak more than a few phrases today. But there's a story particularly that comes to mind when I think of this phrase. And I've had the unfortunate privilege to tear my left ACL two times before the age of 30. And so I generally enjoy working out, but there is absolutely nothing I enjoy less than rehabbing from an injury. And there's stuff you'll pick up every now and again from rehabbing from an injury. And one of the things that I picked up while rehabbing from this injury was that after they do your ACL surgery, so after they reconstruct your left ACL, they take the middle third of your patella tendon and graft it in to create the new ACL. And they put two bolts in there. They do something to you that they don't want you doing until week six of surgery. What they do is after surgery, they flip you onto your stomach and proceed to make your heel touch your butt. And part of the reason they claim, I'm sure there's lots of other reasons like drills and screws why you're in so much pain afterwards, but part of the reason why they say you're in so much pain after surgery is because they force your knee to do something they don't want you to do until week six of recovery. And so you then, after this instance, this surgery, you begin to step by step by step begin to work on gaining full flexion in your knee back. And If you can't do it, you will never return to where you're supposed to be. And so each bend, each time you practice this, is very critical to getting a normal walk back and normal function back in your knee. But along the way, you need help to get there. You can't necessarily just start off and do this. You have to work your way up to it. In order to gain full flexion back in your knee, you have to fight for it. You have to work for it. And you just simply can't be passive about it. You have to work. And simply, as much as it may hurt, and it hurts a lot, you have to contend for full health. Otherwise, you will never be back at full health. So I wonder, in light of that, what is it today that we are fighting for? What are you fighting for? And maybe even, what will you fight for? Today, As we conclude Summer Shorts, like Brad was saying, Jude is telling the church one simple thing. Don't lose your way. Contend for the faith. Don't lose your way. Contend for the faith. And contend is not actually a word we use in everyday language. So simply, 
generally contend just kind of means to wrestle or struggle with as you work your way back. And so this morning, we are going to look at three ways Jude encourages us to not lose our way and to contend for the faith. So first, very simply, he encourages us to don't stop contending. Second, he tells us to contend with purpose. And third, he implores us to remember Jesus, our contender. And before we dive into these three points, I just want to take a moment. I myself am in a reflective season. And so I want us to think through maybe where you're at in this season as we begin to end and wind up summer. And so maybe one of these questions that I'm about ready to read and ask you, maybe one of them will hit a little bit more than the other. I just encourage you to not let that go as we talk today and kind of just sit with that as we walk through Jude. So very simply, the first question, are there any areas in your life where you need to contend in, where you need to fight? Where are the areas in your life that are a bit more unstable where maybe you're ready to give up and throw in the towel? Are you fed up with your job and ready to do absolutely anything else at all? Is your relationship with your spouse strained and coming home from work is the last thing in the world you want to think about doing? Do you wonder daily when and where you're going to make a friend and maybe start to feel not so alone? Has your relationship with Jesus began to feel a bit stale and a bit empty? Are you struggling with the hard questions of following Jesus and don't know whether you believe or maybe even want to follow him anymore? Don't lose your way. Contend for the faith. And so Jude encourages us very simply to don't stop contending, which, for the record, the name of my first point was only because I wanted to get don't stop believing stuck in each and every one of your heads for the rest of the day. Did you think I was going to make a hey Jude joke instead? That's what I was hoping for. <laughs> don't stop contending. That's what Jude would tell you, and that's what I'm here to tell you today. However, the first 16 verses of Jude tend to say what I told you a bit more complexly and heavier than that. So I want to walk through the examples first, and then at the end of this, we're going to talk about the implications. And as we do this, we're going to find out that Jude, our author of the book of Jude, has a pretty natural grasp on the Old Testament and the history of Israel. So he is almost walking through a portion of Israel's narrative in order to make a dramatic point to his reader, to his audience. And so there's going to be several instances in this where even if you happen to know the Bible really well, you're going to notice that some of the stories sound a little funny and or you maybe have never heard of them before. And that's because Jude was referencing texts and stories that were around in his day that didn't necessarily make it into our Bible today that you hold in your hands or on your phone. So just kind of keep that in mind because it's a lot bigger conversation than we have time for. But if you're anything like me, you would then spend the rest of your afternoon trying to figure out where those stories were in the Bible, and you'd go mad. So in this, Jude is communicating to the early church simply that departing from the truth of God is absolutely dangerous. Not contending for your faith is dangerous. And so he's going to issue the church three warnings. And the first one can be found in Jude 5 through 10. And the first warning that he gives the early church is simply an example of unnatural rebellion. In this, it is a shocking list of convicted rebels that his audience would know these stories and they would feel the shock and the scandal of him even mentioning these stories. And so the first example he gives us is the example of the Exodus. 
And this is a story that's pretty common to, to a lot of people and even gets picked up in pop culture. So if you haven't heard the Bible story of the Exodus, but you have happened to see one of summer's biggest summer movies, War for the Planet of the Apes, you know the gist of the narrative. God rescued his people out of slavery, out of bondage, in a land that was not their own. But despite all the miraculous things that God did for them in getting them out of Egypt, no matter what they could do, the Israelites could never fully get Egypt out of them. No matter what, over the course of their history, the Israelites never fully trusted God. They rebelled time and time and time again. And as a result of this rebellion, many of these Israelites did not survive. The second example that Jude gives us is from Genesis 19, and it's a nice little uplifting story about Sodom and Gomorrah. And journeying in this book of Genesis, you'll encounter the father of the Israelites, Abraham, and even his brother, Lot. Sodom and Gomorrah itself is a story about Lot and his family, where God saves this particular people, the family of Lot, from the coming destruction of the two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, because of these two cities' particular type of wickedness, which happened to be rebellion against God in his creation. Even in the midst of these two stories, the rebellion that Jude is talking about to warn his readers, we see there are examples of hope. Some of Israel, thankfully, trusted God and did not rebel. Lot and his family were saved. Don't stop contending. Even if everyone around you has... Don't stop contending. The second warning we find in Jude 11 through 13. And the second warning gives the early church a sneak peek into the people at the time who are purposely involving themselves in false teachings of Jesus and even encouraging others to join in with them in these false teachings. And so the first example he gives is they have taken the way of Cain. This is a story from Genesis 4 involving Cain and Abel. And very simply, this story is a classic tale of anger, jealousy, greed, and if you remember, the first recorded murder. The second example he gives is they have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. This story is one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. It's found in Numbers 22. It's about the prophet Balaam and his donkey. It's one of the strangest stories in the Bible because it literally involves a prophet and a talking donkey who winds up saving this prophet's life. This prophet, Balaam, was paid and was going to put a curse on the people of Israel for money, for greed, until a talking donkey keeps him from doing it and saves his life. Until God stops him. The third example he gives is from number 16. And this is another strange one as well. It's about Korah and Korah's rebellion, which I'm sure we were all reading this morning in number 16. This is another story about greed, where Korah and his followers were trying to usurp power and leadership from Moses. As a result of this, they wound up getting swallowed up by the earth, and they died. Don't stop contending. Fight your impulses for jealousy and greed. Don't stop contending. And the third warning we see comes from Jude 14 through 16. And this third warning is a bit more ominous. Jude is warning his audience of the judgment that awaits, the ungodly, the ones who lost their way on the path. And the example he winds up using is about a person named Enoch, and scholars think his reference actually comes from the book of 1 Enoch, which is not in our Bible we hold today. And so it's one of those instances I mentioned earlier 
where it's an outside source. So what you need to know about the book of First Enoch is that it's a book of apocalyptic literature. So picture Revelation and other books of the Bible like that. The warning Jude gives, if the first two weren't strong enough already, is very simple. Avoid judgment. Follow the way of Jesus, not the ones coming in seeking to tear the church apart with false teachings about Jesus. Don't stop contending. And I bet if you're anything like me, after we finish walking through these examples, in warnings, you're thinking to yourself, hey Jude, that's, that's pretty heavy. I mean, what's the big deal? What were you so worried about? What was actually going on? And truthfully, we don't know what exactly the issue was that Jude was trying to ad- address. All we know is that Jude saw the danger and that something was happening in this church that he wanted to keep from happening. And so that's why he uses the verses again and again to beat the same beat over and over again. Don't stop contending. I'm going to reference another movie right now. Who has seen Dunkirk this summer? Hopefully a few of you. Okay. So Dunkirk was absolutely one of the most intense two-hour movies of my life. And part of it was the story itself, but also the way the score just kept repeating the same note over and over and over again. It kept pulling me more and more into the story and made me feel the anxiety and the anguish that I'm sure the soldiers were feeling on the beach in World War II trying to get home. And I think this is exactly what the author of Jude, that Jude is trying to do with us. He's pulling us into the emotions and the high stakes that are going on in this church. It's absolutely heavy, but that's the point that Jude is trying to get across. What Jude sees happening, very simply, is a church losing their way. It's people of Jesus losing the way of Jesus, missing out on their connection with Jesus, and wind up missing the fruit of Christ in their own life. And the root of all these warnings can be found in Jude 12 and 13. And so this church Jude is writing to has gotten off the path, and he'll use several examples for this. They are fruitless people. They are stains in the community meals. They're spoiling the community and making it undesirable to others. They are clouds without rain, which is something in Seattle we don't have to worry about. They serve no purpose. They are trees without fruit. And so in this, I think he's referencing Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. Simply, this church has lost the fruit of the Spirit. They've lost love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He then calls them wild waves of the sea, crashing, splashing, and making a scene. They are wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Stars that don't give off any light. When you lose your way, you stop contending. And to quote the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? What is the point? And then finally, after 14 verses of warning, of don't stop contending, we get a glimpse of hope. In verse 17, we encounter four simple words. But dear friends, remember, this is the warning to don't stop, don't stop contending, and it crescendos here. And I believe, if our video is working, it is a lesson we can learn from a Major League Baseball stadium in Atlanta, Georgia, where they have a race called Race the Freeze.
I wish. Very simply, don't let that happen to you. Don't be the guy in the cargo shorts who thinks he has the race won and has it in the bag, and before he's even near the finish line, he starts celebrating only to fall flat on his face. Don't stop contending. Don't lose your way. Contend for the faith. Second, very simply, Jude tells us to contend with purpose. And this is the strategy for how we are to contend for the faith and not lose our way. And I want to be honest with you today and share one of my fears about following Jesus. So my fear, deep down, if I had to look myself in the mirror and answer this question, this would be my fear. And it's mentioned in Revelation 3, 14, and 16. To the angels of the church in Laodicea, write, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. I don't want to be spit out. I don't want to be forgotten. And there's a story I was told in high school that has radically changed me and shaped me and stuck with me to this day. It involves a married couple who were living the American dream. They were working their jobs. They were raised their family, doing ministry, and their life was on purpose and it was great. But they finally reached the point in their life where they could retire. And so they retired and decided the only thing they wanted to do was move to the beach, walk on the beach, and collect seashells. They did nothing else for the rest of their life but walk the beach and collect seashells. And I heard that story as a high schooler, and it stuck with me because all I want to do, no matter what season I'm in, whether it's known or unknown, is I want to live a life where I can contend with purpose. And that is what Jude is going to be telling us. And I think this fear is one of the reasons that themes like contending for the faith that Jude talks about absolutely stand out to me. If you go through the Bible, you will notice that this theme pops up over and over and over again. And I believe this is because Jesus, following Jesus, is not easy. And God wants us to remind us of that. And so just very simply, we'll walk through a couple of them. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Paul uses the example of running a race. And we should run in such a way as to get the prize, not like the guy in the cargo shorts. 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19, Paul tells Timothy, his protege, to either wage good warfare or fight the battle well, depending on what our translation is. 1 Timothy 6.12, a little bit later, says, fight the good fight of the faith. In Philippians 2.12, Paul again tells us to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And then in Philippians 3.12, Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. We cannot be passive. We have to contend with purpose. But how do we know how to do it? How do we know how to become a contender and contend life, our faith, with purpose? Jude has a strategy, and it's threefold. We are simply to serve 
love, and pray. We are to serve, love, and pray. And I love this strategy that Jude departs to us because it hits on all the aspects of our faith. To contend for the faith, we cannot live our faith one-dimensionally. Contending with purpose, following Jesus, involves doing all three of these. And so I'm sure as we walk through this list, one of these is going to stand out more to you than the other as something that you can do really well. And the other, maybe it's a little bit more difficult to you. And so first in Jude 22 and 23, we are called to serve. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy. We are called to serve. Mark 10, 35 through 44 is the story of two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, who have the nickname Sons of Thunder, who asked Jesus for the opportunity and honor of sitting at the head of his table, at his right hand and his left hand. To which Jesus simply responds, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. In John 13, Jesus shows his disciples how to do this by serving them. He washes their feet, even if the disciple Peter objects to it. He sets the example. Since no servant is greater than his master, we should follow in his footsteps in his service. But how do we practically serve? How do we practically know how to serve? I believe it involves following the example of Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Serve others. This one is honestly the easiest for me. I'm a doer, and I love being able to do tangible things for other people. Whether they happen to be close to me, a homeless person on the side of the street I can give a bottle of water to, or serving in the church where there's a need. I love to do things and serve other people. What about you? Does serving come naturally, or is it a bit harder? Second, we are to love. And this is Jude 21. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. The love here Jude mentions isn't the love associated to serving others. Rather, this is the love about loving God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul from Luke 10:27. And there's a text that always makes me a bit uncomfortable since I am a doer. And it's the story of Martha and Mary in Luke 10:38. They are two followers of Jesus, and I believe Martha is like me. She's a doer and she's active. Jesus is coming over to spend time with her and Mary, and Martha sees the dozens of tasks that still need to get done in order to welcome Jesus. So she chooses to set out and serve. Meanwhile, Mary chooses to simply sit at the feet of Jesus. Martha then sees this, gets upset, and wants Jesus to order Mary to help her do the tasks. And Jesus simply responds to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Are you busying yourself with tasks like I can do instead of sitting at the feet of Jesus? And this is hard for me, not because I don't enjoy spending time with Jesus or sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's simply because I have a hard time slowing down and being by myself. Meanwhile, I'm sure there's others of you in this room who would much rather have a hot cup of tea, a blanket, and your Bible than talk to another person. It's what comes naturally to you, but then again, maybe engaging God with your hands is a little bit harder. And so third, we are to pray. And this is Jude 20. But you, dear friends, 
by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Traditionally, if a church hosts a prayer gathering, they are usually and historically the least attended function a church can do. Yeah, we are absolutely called to serve, and yes, we are called to love, but part of Jude's strategy is that we are also to pray. It's simply to sit and communicate with the living God. It's to constantly be connected to the life and the spirit to produce good fruit. Prayer absolutely must be involved. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But what if I don't know how to pray? Good question. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our own hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Romans 8, 26, 27. If you don't know how to pray, just simply sit, be still, and listen. Ask God to speak to you, to reveal himself to you. Serve, love, pray. This is what it looks like to contend with purpose. This is how we don't lose our way. What type of community are we, are you creating here at Ballard? Are you going to encourage each other to contend with purpose? Or will you happen to let each other lose the way? Don't lose your way. Contend for the faith. Lastly, Jude implores us to remember Jesus, our contender. And I believe we are absolutely captivated to get a peek into the life of champions. I remember all the way back when Michael Phelps was doing his thing and winning gold medal after gold medal, medal, gold medal after gold medal. We wanted to catch a look into what made him so great. Because we thought that somehow in this dream of him achieving the most Olympic medals ever, we were on the journey with him. We were becoming great with him. I think this is also why a good boxing movie happens to do so well. They teach us how the contender is able to go toe-to-toe with their opponent and win, no matter what the obstacles they may be facing in their life. And boxing movies even happen to give us such classic moments and quotes, like this one from On the Waterfront with Marlon Brando's Carrie. So I apologize for my bad reading of it, but it has a point. You was my brother, Charlie. You should have looked out for me a little bit. You should have taken care of me just a little bit. So I wouldn't have had to take them dives for the short end money. I could have had class... I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. And this quote makes me grateful that we only have one person to rely on, only one person who can sustain our faith, and that is Jesus. No matter what, we don't have to worry about if we are contenders, because ultimately Jesus is our contender. He contends for us even if we don't realize it. And so I want to jump all the way back to the beginning of Jude in verse 5. And so our translation, the NIV says, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt. What we miss in the NIV with this, that other translations pick up, is that the Lord here is actually Jude going back and editing Jewish narrative, and instead of saying God, he inserts the word Jesus. He inserts Jesus into saving Israel. Jesus is the one who saved Egypt. Jesus has and always is and always will be going about his saving work. He was doing it for Israel, and he does it for us. 
He did it for us when he took a spot on the cross between two criminals. And he does it for us today. And that's what the end of Jude hits at. In Jude 24 and 25. To him, to Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Jesus is the only one able to keep us from tripping, from stumbling. When we contend for the faith, Jesus is the one who keeps us. Ultimately, this happened when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, then rose three days later. We cannot keep ourselves. Jesus won't let us go. And Paul mentions this in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus, and I hope this is good news, wants to see us to completion. He wants to see us contend, and Jesus is with us as we contend for the faith. He is our contender. And we can have confidence in our faith as we contend for faith, as long as we cling to the one who is clinging to us, as long as we cling to Jesus. I grew up in Southern California, and I used to go surfing all the time. And when you're in the ocean a lot, you begin to pick up on certain things that lifeguards do and figure out why lifeguards operate the way they do. And you'll notice that if somebody starts to drown, lifeguards will not jump in immediately to rescue them. They will kind of let you drown a bit before they rescue you. And the reason for this is if you try to rescue a drowning person who is thrashing around, they typically will pull you down with them. And so they have to wait for you to calm down a bit until they can wrap their arms around you and pull you to safety. You have to give up control so you can actually cling to the lifeguard. Do you remember when you first met Jesus and you decided to follow him and maybe even give him control over your life and cling to Jesus? Do you remember a moment or time in your life when God showed up when you needed him the most? Remember those moments Maybe you're in that place today. Do you need Jesus in your office? Do you need him as you enter the last year of school? Do you need Jesus for the sake of your relationship with your kids? Or maybe, if you don't cling to Jesus, will the thin ice of your marriage finally crack? Cling to Jesus. Don't lose your way. Contend for the faith. Cling to Jesus, our contender. This morning, we looked at three ways that Jude encourages us to not lose our way and contend for the faith. Don't stop contending. Contend with purpose in Jesus, our contender. As we close, I'm reminded of one of the moments in physical therapy when I was rehabbing my ACL that stuck out to me completely and still has an imprint on me today. There was this man who was in good shape, strong, not too old, and who should have been conquering physical therapy. But I'm in there one day, still early on in my own process, and he had reached the point where it was time for him to touch his heel to his butt. But he was still a decent way away from doing that. And so in order to help him along the way and make sure that he stayed at full flexion, he's lying on his stomach, and the physical therapist proceeded to force his heel to touch his butt. I have never heard a grown man scream 
like in that instant. And I remember being on the exercise bike at the time, trying to get basic flexion back in my knee, and having that imprint on me that I will not be him. I will not have the physical therapist make me cry in their office and scream out in pain. So I decided to contend for my knee with as much zeal as humanly possible. I decided to go about it so well that the physical therapist had to sit me down and tell me to slow down because I was blowing past every goal they were setting for me. His stumbling motivated me to contend like I didn't know. And earlier, I asked you some questions. And so as we close, I want to encourage us to encourage you to wrestle with these questions and cling to Jesus, our contender. So maybe one of these will hit you more than the others. And so just this week, over lunch, over coffee, don't run away from it. Figure out how you can actually dive into it and how you can go to Jesus and let Jesus contend for you and even maybe remember that Jesus is in it with you. So very simply, are there any areas in your life you need to contend in? Where are the areas in your life that are a bit unstable where maybe you're ready to give up? Are you fed up with your job and ready to do absolutely anything else? Is your relationship with your spouse strained and coming home from work the absolutely last thing in the world you want to do? Do you wonder daily when and where you're going to finally make some friends and not feel so alone? Has your relationship with Jesus began to feel a bit stale and a bit empty? And lastly, are you struggling with the hard questions of following Jesus and don't know whether you want to believe or want to follow him anymore? And for those last two particularly, Brad mentioned Alpha earlier, and Alpha is a great place to wrestle with Jesus and wrestle with your faith. So if maybe that's you, maybe that's the next step. But simply, don't lose your way contend for the faith. Fight and cling to Jesus. Remember Jesus, even if it's hard, he is with you. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for the example of Jude and his motivation to us to never stop contending. For whatever season we may find ourselves in in this room, I ask that you simply give each and, one of, each and every one of us the strength to go on another day. And let us see you in the middle of our contention. And whatever season and whatever struggle and whatever battle it may be in, let us know that you are with us. In your name we pray. Amen.